Cheers, everyone. This is Blaster Brewmaster here, and welcome to Louder Rinse Repeat. So this is the inaugural episode here of Louder Rinse Repeat. My name is Derek, a.k.a. Blaster Brewmaster here, and with me I've got Tony and Ricky. So hi, guys. Hello, hello. Hey, how's it going? Uh, going good. So, I figure, you know, this being the inaugural episode, we should definitely let our, you know, kind of explain what exactly, you know, our experience is and, you know, what we're planning on doing with the show. So, Tony, why don't you go ahead and, uh, you know, kind of introduce yourself here. Sure, sure. So, my name's Tony. I've been working over at Atlantic Brew Supply, a local homebrew shop here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Been brewing for about four years now. It all started out when uh, my roommate decided to purchase a kit online. Uh, we just got a bunch of boxes from, from the mail service. And from there, we just went through uh, multiple batches of beer. And, and here I am now working in a brewery, homebrew shop, uh, you name it. <laughs> Probably drunk so much that you can't even remember the time between then and now. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's like, I, it's like I, I fell asleep one day you know, after drinking so much of my homebrew. And next thing I know, I woke up in a brewery working there. <laughs> That's how it happens. That, that's actually pretty accurate. So. <laughs> that, that sounds definitely like a <laughs> that's the kind of life right there. Ricky, what about you? Um, well, um, my name is Ricky Phillips. I'm also known as the Saison King. I'm still trying to get that name to stick. Um, but yeah, I've been brewing for about five years, and um, I started kind of like everybody else with a kit. My my mother in law didn't know what to get me for Christmas, so she got me a. Uh, homebrew kid and and that's how it all started and um you know i've been brewing ever since then and now i'm you know working you know here and there at um atlantic brew supply mm-hmm. kind of you know started on the weekends and the guys you know seem to like my my brew style so yeah i bring stuff to the table <laughs> all right so i guess for myself you know um just like everyone else here kind of like around four or five years now um 2012, like it was the beginning of 2012, a friend of mine was given a homebrew kit for his Christmas present, and once, you know, because I had just been kind of getting into the good craft beer, finally. It had been, you know, taking forever to actually get into good beer. I got to thank my wife for that one, because before I was trying to find good beer and sucked at it. We'll just say, Kellyanne's Irish Red. That was a normal drink for me. <laughs> but, yeah, so it was, like, getting really into it, and then my friend was given that as, like, a Christmas gift, and I was like, wait, you can make beer yourself at home? Why was I not told of this? So next thing I know, like, me and a friend, we kind of uh, split, you know, halfway on getting a kit. And, like, a whole bunch of my friends were, you know, just really into it for a while, and I'm the only one that kind of stuck with it. So, you know, oh, I've been nice. brewing since then. And, yeah, I've been just kind of, like, piecing together more and more stuff and building more and more things and kind of getting better and better at it, you know, as I go along. So, and, of course, you know, I've run, like, a little YouTube channel mixing up, you know, video games and homebrewing. And it's kind of something that, you know, we're kind of thinking for, you know, working with Atlantic Brew Supply and Raleigh Brewing here to kind of, you know, piece together a little podcast. So, you know, it's a little associated with, uh, you know, those two, Atlantic Brew Supply and Raleigh Brewing Company here. So, oh, that's kind of our introductions here. Hopefully, you know, you'll be quite interested in the stuff that we're going to, you know, do here with the show. So, I guess uh, kind of going through that, what we plan on doing here is we plan on doing two episodes a month here. So, the general idea is going to be that we're going to kind of go through doing different homebrewing news and, you know, talking about different things that are out there in the homebrewing community, you know, different news and events. 
And also stuff that might be going on with like the uh, North Carolina beer scene and the brewing scene. And then, you know, talk a little bit also about different topics and conversation pieces about homebrewing. Things that people may have, you know, questions about. Maybe some, like, articles and stuff that have come out in recent time that cover some, you know, unique takes that we haven't really thought of as homebrewers. And finally from there, you know, on the first show, we also generally will try to have guests every now and then, and we'll have a specific topic that we're going to talk about. And finally, you know, after talking and discussing that a bit more in a roundtable sense, um, we'll leave uh, end off the first episode with a bit of audience questions. So that's going to be the first episode of the month. And the second one is going to be kind of a supplemental show where what we plan on doing with that is talking a little bit more about what we're doing as, you know, home brewers or brewers, what we're kind of fermenting, what we're making, as well as having like different kinds of tastings of commercial beers where what we plan on doing is talking about the different flavors that we're picking up and try to see, you know, what we would do in order to make kind of something a little bit like a clone beer, something that's either cloned or inspired by that commercial take. And then finally, with the end of the supplemental show, what we're going to do right now, I think we're going to call this Iron Brewer. We're going to pick some one specific ingredient. It could be like a hop. It could be a malt. Maybe even just like a extra flavor additive, something like that. And then build a recipe around it just to kind of accentuate the flavors and such. You know, see what we would come up with to make this flavor really stand out and also just kind of play really well and complement really well. So that's kind of the intent that I think that we got going for our show. We're going to try, like I said, about, you know, do every other month. This episode, though, is just going to be kind of small, but, you know, there was a really big topic that came up just very recently. So, Ricky, do you want to talk about that one a little bit? Yeah, well, um, BrewDogs decided, uh, for, for some crazy reason, to give everyone in the world their entire brew catalog. So every um, brew dog beer that's been brewed from day one all the way back to when they were homebrew level all the way up to current, they've compiled that into a nice tight PDF file and released it to everyone. And it was like 215 recipes. Something crazy like that. Like 200, yeah, is it 215 or is it? I, I think I counted, it was either 215 or 216. Let me see if I can bring that up here. Now, just uh, for for yeah. overall perspective here, BrewDogs went from homebrewing to, uh, you said current, but what does that mean? In case y'all haven't heard of them. To very vast production cross Cross Atlantic, <laughs> and also a television series that's gone through two seasons. <laughs> so they're they're uh they're they're a, they're a big deal. And if you haven't heard of them, I mean, I would think that you might have heard of End of History, which was for a couple was I think a couple of years at least was the highest percent alcohol by volume beer in the world at fifty five percent. I think it has been toppled since then. Um, so it's no longer the champion. But this was also a beer that was, you know, the ball was stored in a taxidermied squirrel. Yes. I think the squirrel has a jacket. It's like a flannel, like a like a lumberjack flannel. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, like in the picture they've got here, it's got like a tartan, <laughs> uh, a tartan kilt and everything. So, so just, clearly these guys... No, each each squirrel is different. Is it? Each one? Yeah, yeah, each squirrel was different. Oh, well, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course each squirrel is different. I mean, yeah. I should actually <laughs> say that technically they've had two of the top-ranking uh, highest ABV because Tactical Penguin was also on the top for a little bit, yes. too. Tactical Nuclear Penguin, I yes. should say. 
And and is is there is there nanny beer the lowest ABV beer? I think it's like a half percent. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if you can necessarily say that just because you know non-alcoholic beer it technically yeah. still has alcohol. Says in this, it too, yeah. so. My my root beer has a little alcohol in it. Yeah. Too. <laughs> <laughs> and I serve it to children. <laughs> They love it. It quiets them down and gets them to sleep really easily. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. <laughs> you remember the stories that your grandpa would tell you about? You know how they used to be given a shot of whiskey when their teeth ached. <laughs> Mine was yeah, yeah. That 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 happened to me, but it was, but I turned out okay. <laughs> right, right. That's one of those yeah. brain damage, him. Yeah, you did. <laughs> So, as you can tell, these guys have been all over the place uh, doing some crazy stuff. Uh, even here in North Carolina, uh, they did one with uh, Full Steam, yeah. where uh, they, they just come up with crazy recipes and, and even crazy processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but this huge list of, of recipes that they've released looks amazing. Yeah, yes. it's, it's, it's anything from... From Russian Imperial Stouts to IPAs to Pale Ales. They even have like a series of um, single hop IPAs that kind of, you know, give a brewer like an insight into what that hop does. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty cool. Now, is it searchable? It is. It's it, Actually, it's OCR, so it's uh, text searchable, so you can just run a search in there. Yeah, because it, you'll recognize, like, if you're looking for... You know, just some specific ingredient or specific style. Uh, yeah, you can just like run a search in there and find what you're looking for. This thing is crazy. Yeah, they they the way they've organized it has been um, by when it was first brewed. Mm-hmm. So they go all the way back to was it 2007? Yeah, 2007. like 2007, where there was the first brew, and then it goes all the way up to current. So even for you know some of their famous stuff like um punk IPA, mm-hmm. they have like the Punk IPA, the original, and then when they revamped it in 2010, you'll see Punk IPA again, but the 2.0 or the or the revised from 2010 to current. Yeah. So, so every time they change the recipe, they put it in here. Also, uh, some of the real cool backstories are in here, like you know why they used a certain yeast on a certain beer. I think one of them was um, who ordered all this Belgian Belgian yeast? They, <laughs> they, so, so they had like a ton of Belgian yeast, and from there they had a series of brews using that Belgian yeast. So really cool to kind of see the the flow of, of how things may work in a recipe creation in, in an actual brewery. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I Super just cool. love is like, you know, just seeing how hard they've hit this whole, I mean, just looking at like how many recipes they've got and what's this going to be now? Six, like nine years, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they've got all these different recipes and, you know, and then looking at all the stuff they've done, they went out and made like, you know, some of the heaviest beers in the world. They want to make a TV show where they come up with the craziest things, like trying to naturally make, you know, make a green beer out of natural ingredients. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Didn't they brew underwater? They, yeah, they, they fermented yeah. they fermented one underwater, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was at the bottom of the land. So they got that one in here as well. It's pretty awesome. pretty neat. I mean, we can we can um, go out to, to Lake Johnson and see if we can recreate that. <laughs> get a couple of, get a couple of kegs. Yeah. Get a couple of kegs and float, you know, float some... We might, we might have there. to get like some permission from it's like the uh, local local authorities and stuff to make sure you know like the uh, parks and recreation department might need to sign off on that first. Just give them just just give them just give them a case, man. A case <laughs> of beer. They, they you had me at let's get a couple of cakes. Yeah, I'm down, man. <laughs> it's like that that pretty much is the start of any good adventure right there. <laughs> so so first off, when you look at this list, I got a, I got a question. A lot of a lot of brewers or professional breweries haven't done this. Um, I know a couple that that yeah. do something 
sort of like this. I know Jester King, if you email them, they will actually email you a recipe back on, on how to brew any of their beers, which is pretty cool. But no one has ever done anything to this scale. From a uh, marketing perspective, that, I think that's amazing. It's, it's basically here is what they have brewed to make money in their mm-hmm. business, and they're offering it to you for free. Now, what, what's so interesting about that is you'd think people would be a little more uh, willing to hold on to you know, secret information like this. But mm-hmm. it, from looking at the way the recipes are set up and everything else, you can brew a beer very similar to theirs. But there's a few things that they seem to leave out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that um, when, when, you're, when you're looking at it, the, the number one thing that glares at me is they don't tell you their efficiencies. So, you know, they're, if they're using 12 pounds of grain at an 85% efficiency, you know, for your mash, then, you know, if you've got 70% efficiency at home, you got, you got to tweak that recipe. So probably I would suggest that, you know, people that are looking at this, instead of taking the recipe out and just trying to plug it straight in as it is, look at the grain percentages and then make it fit your equipment. Um, you got to also kind of calibrate a little on the hops because mm-hmm. they don't give you like hop times. They just say, you know, this is a bittering hop, put it in at the start. But is it going to be, you know, at, at 60 minutes or is it going to be at, you know, 40 minutes or, you know, or when does, 90. when does, or yeah. 90, when does that, maybe yeah, a first wh- war, you know, when they just give start, middle, end, and of course, you know, when to add the dry house, but when is, when is that start and that middle and end kind of thing? Is it, is it, you know, like a, at the five minute mark or is it always at flame out or, you know, some of them say whirlpool, some of them don't, but kind of, you know, feel, you gotta, you gotta take some liberties with the, with the recipes here. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's also kind of my other thing that I think of, like, from a homebrewer's perspective is, you know, it's all good to say, you know, like, I want to kind of do a clone recipe of, you know, like this one or that one. But, I mean, it's like you do it just to kind of say, you know, I want to make something that tastes a lot like it. I want to kind of see if I can piece out how it all, you know, how how exactly to go about making a beer that tastes like this. But, you know, I, I think that's probably, like, why they were looking at it from a marketing perspective. It's like you, know, you do that just as kind of like an experiment to see how good and how close you can do it. But you're not going to be doing this on like a production level. Like, I mean, if somebody was to go and take all 215 of these recipes or even some of like the top ones and like try to make a brewery, uh, you know, with all of these recipes, it's going to be kind of pretty near impossible making an exact clone anyways. And then at the same time, yeah, you know, why would you want to do that? You know, I don't think that in the in the brewing, you know, in the beer community, the brewing community, that most people are going to aim to exactly say, "I'm going to exactly clone this recipe and sell it as my own." That's that's at least kind of what I would think. Yeah, know? I think I think one of the main ingredients to homebrew is flair. Exactly. Yeah, you, know? you got to bring something. You got to bring something to the table, and you and you know, I I want my beer to scream Ricky when you taste. It. I want you mm-hmm. to be able to grab my beer and say. Ricky must have brewed this yeah, because exactly. it has that distinct character, you know, like I, things that I do, like with, with certain yeast and certain temperatures that other people don't do that. that and I get certain flavors. You can kind of taste it and say, Hey, this is, that's my thing. That's my, yeah. that's my niche. So I, I don't, I don't think people would try to grab this and, and make a production brewery oh, and, yeah. and succeed. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Cause that's the other thing is that's probably like, I mean, with everything that they seem to do, like I said, they, they of course live by that whole, like, 
the punk motto, you know, is kind of like their little thing. So this is just kind of like going against the established sort of norm that some of the, you know, higher level, you know, higher production breweries get like, uh, you know, really close guarding, like you were saying about that earlier, Tony, you know, close guarding their recipes. And they're like, you know, you can go ahead and try and make it. But I mean, you're not going to you're not going to go and just clone us. I mean, no one's going to buy your stuff if it's coming from you. They're going to buy it from us because everyone's talking about us right now. And and absolutely, one thing that's really neat is I would love to get a hold of all of these beers and compare it mm-hmm. yeah, to yeah. see how close I can get. Because to me, the homebrewing hobby is, you know, obviously you, whatever you want to brew, brew it. But also this, you know, getting to perfection, making something so consistently, making something so exacting to your process that you know you can produce again and again. Mm-hmm. And then to produce what someone else is making. You know, to have a bottle of one of the BrewDog's beers and come out with an IPA, for example, uh, that's aged in in whiskey and have it come out just like theirs. Mm -hmm. That sounds amazing to me. Yeah. I mean, it's like you master your system at that point. You really know the ins and outs of it because you can make whatever beer at that point. Exactly. And and how many times, you know, in the the brew shop have we been in there and people come in with with their – cloned Raleigh Brewing Company beers and want us to try them because they're proud of, of what they've done. I mean, we, we try beers, you know, all the time that people are just like, hey, taste this. This is this is what I brewed this off of. You know, how close did I get? What do you mm-hmm. think about it? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and they're proud of it, whether it's fully cloned or not. And they still come in and they still love to buy those beers because they're still their favorite beers. Absolutely. Yeah. And we do end up providing the recipe, whether they cloned it first or if they're basing off of our recipe. It's still amazing to see how, how other people perceive our beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So in my opinion, I think what the brew dogs are doing is great. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. I, I, uh, I definitely want to brew uh, some of these beers. Yeah. I think the number one thing that I took away from reading through and flipping through these recipes it's just noticing all the different malts that they use mm-hmm. and the ways in which they use them. Um, just like for the one thing that jumped out to me is in their stouts, they don't use a lot of black patent malt. They use mostly Carafa, a mixture of Carafa 2 and Carafa 3. Debittered malts, yeah, yeah. To where you're not getting that um, burnt or that ashy flavor that, that you can get out of that black patent. And it... and I've had some of the darker business. It makes it it's, it's smooth. It's a smoother flavor. So that's one of the things that I've kind of said, hey, I'm going to take that away and say, and, and in my recipes that I create, maybe I'll try some Carafa instead of, you know, using black patent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other thing I just like is, you know, when you're a home brewer, the easiest thing that, you know, people would want to do is that, you know, get so complex with their beers. And you can kind of see, like, some of these beers are really complex. Yeah. You have, like, five or six different hop additions, or, like, you know, some of the Scottish ones could be, like, about, you know, nine, ten different malts. And then you have some of the other ones where you really wouldn't expect it. Like, I mean, some of them, it's obvious, you know, like an IPA would kind of make sense. You know, you just use straight up two malt, you know, two, uh, not even two, right? It's actually extra pale. Um, which is was another thing you had talked about before too was like you know which uh, who was the uh, you know the monster the monster yeah, yeah yeah I looked up a lot of that um, I know Thomas Fawcett's makes a uh, a lot of their a lot of these malts like the um, extra pale malt that they use a lot of and the caramalt um, mm-hmm. that they use a lot of they they Fawcett's makes those so it's one of the things that I look to see you know hey how can I get some of these malts to see 
how they stack up to the things that I'm usually using. Maybe it's maybe I make a switch from what I use based on the malts that they use in their recipes. Yeah. And then like a and that, that's the other thing was though I was saying also was the um about the complexity. You know, some of the ones that you would think were incredibly difficult to make because yeah. of course, you know, BrewDog has made some of the heaviest beers in the world. But um, let me see. I'm just trying to see if I can find the end of history, which was uh, it's just extra pale yeah, malt. Yeah, it's just it's like just it's like 27 pale. and a half pounds of extra pale malt in a five gallon batch. Yeah, in a five gallon batch, and of course, like the the high alcohol, you know, by volume comes to freezing it at like about negative 70 degrees Celsius. So, I mean, it, it's obviously a bit more work than most of your average home brewers are going to do. But they give you the recipe to even do it. They tell you exactly what you need to do to get that kind of you know, that kind of alcohol by volume. It's incredible just looking through here and you see some things that are really complex and then you see some things that are just so simple. And now, personally, I ascribe to the idea of simplicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few times would I ever want to use more than, say, four malts for a beer. Yeah, four yeah. or five. Unless you look at Scottishes, and then those do get a little more complex. But for the most part, specialty malts are are something that are pretty uh, scarce in a lot of my recipes, but I'll still do a lot of dark beers that way. Yeah. And it's just keeping things simple so that more of the individual characteristics of each ingredient show up. Right. Because they have a tendency to trample over each other if you use too many, you know. Yeah. If if you were to use every single specialty grain in a single batch, you would end up with a brown. Yes. I mean, that's... (laughs) Every every single time. Every single time, and it's going to be really bland, and you're not Mm going to be able to pick out any of the flavors. you got to just figure out what you're going to showcase, you know, and and how you're going to... If you're going to showcase the hops, then your grain bill should be one or two malts and a very clean clean yeast, and showcase those hops. Put them out in front. Mm -hmm. If it's going to be the malt that's on, on showcase, do that, but then, you know, rein the hops in so that you don't have highs and lows. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and BrewDog seems to be doing that a lot, which gives me uh, personally a little validation that it is always about simplicity and, and showcasing individual ingredients. Yeah. It's like if you're going to do something complex, you have to know how it, – it's just like with cooking, you know? Just like you, you can do something really simple and showcase the basic flavor of it, kind of like you would have in, like, Japanese cooking. Or that you could do this incredibly complex thing, but you need to know what each of the flavors are going to bring – how much you're going to use it and make sure that they don't muddle everything up. You know, they don't like go walking and, you know, treading across each other. It has to play really well. But so, yeah, I think that's a great discussion. I mean, like this is just incredible. You know, everything that they've done here. Now, so. uh, is, do they have that on their site or do you just Google the they have, document? Yeah, they have it on their it's site. It's on their site. The PDF cool. and, I'll make sure that I uh, include a link with uh, sources here for the uh, podcast so that yeah. everyone else can go and check it out, too. So, so Derek, what's the first thing you're going to try out of this um, out of this recipe book? What's the first thing you're going to do? I don't know. The, the weirdest one, the one that I thought that was the craziest to me was Nanny State. You know, just 0.5. But it has, like, it brings a little bit of complexity to the malts that they put in there. And they put, like, eight and a half ounces of hops in like this just really low alcohol. I want to just see what that really would taste like. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, one thing I saw is a couple of their rum raisin um, aged um, beers. Yeah. And I was thinking, man, I bet I never thought about putting, you know, rum soaked raisins in a beer to see what that tastes like. So I'm, I'm going to probably try to mess around with some of that. Yeah. 
Antonio, do you have anything you wanted to look at in that? Well, I haven't perused the whole uh, <laughs> menu yet, but shame, shame on you. I know, <laughs> I know, I'm an unbeliever. But if there are any uh, table beers or saisons, I would definitely be interested because it's about that time of year for some light, lighter uh, bodied beers and mm-hmm. just keeping things, you know, again, very simple. But I'll have to peruse through there and see if there's anything that. Strikes my fancy. They got some, they got some good Belgian stuff in there. You know, I, I I put some some nice bookmarks on most of the Belgian. Oh, the Saison they, King is already dude, researching. Dude, <laughs> I, dude, I'm I'm looking at the quads they have in here. They've oh, got Lord. some really cool looking quads. That's that's where I got the rum raisin kind of thing because they oh. put they did rum raisin like a barrel aged or wood aged quad. Dude, I bet that's good. That sounds good. Yeah, and since I can't and since I can't get it, might as well make it. Yeah, there you go. Yep. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, okay. Well, thank you for going ahead and joining us here on this podcast, uh, Lot of Rinse Repeat. So, like I said, we're going to be coming in every other month. I'm going to put more details out on the website. We're going to have it on both Atlantic Brew Supply as well as so I've got a little WordPress that I'll kind of keep uh, everyone informed about. So keep an eye out and just uh, look out for us. Yeah, and if you and if you have any um any questions or anything or ideas for the show, go ahead and throw them in the comment section, and we'll take a look at them and we'll try to add those things in. Yeah, right. thanks for right. listening, guys. Yep. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.